Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Hello and welcome back to Greenwashed with me, Jaspreet Bopperai, and my co-host, Don Nicholson. I am very happy to introduce today Jill Booth. For listeners who have followed uh, my journey and even Dawn's on uh, the old VFF channels and followed our podcast, Jill should be a familiar name. Hi, Jill. Hi, how are you? And um, greetings to any of our listeners that have been through us with us through um, VFF, VFF podcast. Been through us would be right. Been, it? been through with us, I should <laughs> say. Yes. Yes. So Jill and I, we have done about a year and a half of fortnightly podcasts with the Voices of Freedom. I think beginning, uh, was it winter of 2021, Jill? Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it was winter of 2021. And I remember doing the first one and thinking that that was going to be the only one. Um, And then realizing that this was going to morph into a, a fortnightly um, session about, you know, the, the seriousness of what we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. So we, I think we did close to 18 months of every fortnight, hour, hour and a half of a webinar. And that was really good. It actually forced me to put my thoughts of all that I had been reading for close to 30 years now just because my dad served with the United Nations in Somalia in 1992. And, you know, the brain keeps collecting bits of information and doing those webinars with Jill forced me to put my, I'd say my wayward thoughts into a more coherent form. And uh, we tried to walk people through how these global agendas or these 17 sustainable development goals are coming to their very doorstep. And that's true because um, I went back through some bits and pieces, Jasprit, and, you know, our very first webinar that we did was UN Agenda Fact or Fiction. And it started off with your um, with your dad's and then your brother's um, involvement with the United Nations and a little bit of my family history with my mother um, growing up in, in Nazi occupied Holland. Um, from the age of 14 to 18 and then the months of starvation that followed the Second World War and my father who who spent his time in Britain um, during that period. So, you know, we, we both have a family history that's gone back um, into this and it, it, it made us curious. Yeah. Tell me, Jill, what got you interested in reading about the United Nations and SDGs? Because uh, I think you said a couple of decades now. Well, it was, and and I, you know, um, I've I came from a family that had um, my parents. Like I just said, my parents had an amazing background. Both of them also had a an incredible grasp of history, um, and that what we are taught through history, question it all the time. Question it. What you've been told may not be true. Um, and then you go through those butterfly years of your teens and your and your twenties, and you really don't care what's going on. Um, but then a few things happened in my life at the same time. Um, my youngest child started school. We got our first home computer and then um, a world-shattering event happened about 20 years ago that 
made me absolutely fall down that that rabbit hole. And when I first heard about the United Nations and its plan, I just rolled my eyes. I did not believe a word of it. I couldn't see how it could work, um, but I was interested. And and that brought me to UN Agenda 21. Um, it brought me to Rosa Corey, Behind the Green Mask, um, Tom Finton, um, and, and all these people that were speaking about the United Nations and how it works. And, and, and then I stopped rolling my eyes and they started popping out of my head, really. Um, <laughs> and I found out that what I thought was, was just rubbish um, was actually really true. You know, and, and all this time later, I now understand the technology, you know, to, to be able to um, bring this about. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been quite a, a bumpy journey. Yeah. And, Don, we haven't let you get a word in edgeways. When no, you've first... got two women here, Don. <laughs> you haven't got a chance. <laughs> well, well, maybe I haven't. And I learned today that... Um... In the workplace in New Zealand, 80% of the bullying uh, happens between woman to woman. So uh, maybe I'm safe tonight. Maybe I'm safe. Well, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Jasper and I will, yeah, we'll keep it between each other. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I became aware of uh, these a long time back, the United Nations agendas, but sort of nothing to see here. It all looks pretty innocuous, nothing, nothing major. And of course, then it uh, talked about Agenda 2030. No one really wanted to involve uh, that discussion with me, at least when I was around Federated Farmers. And so only in about 2015, I met a local councillor who basically told me that the world can only sustain 2 billion people. His preference was 1 billion. And I uh, decided I'd better come home and study what this guy obviously had been um, indoctrinated by. And it became pretty clear that his indoctrination or his his ethic was from the his gen the genesis of his uh, ethos was from this sort of doc these sort of documents he may have been taking it to the extreme who knows um and then i've sort of linked into the leftist agendas of the world and the people that are involving themselves around these united nations agendas and also then looking to all the wiring diagram who's feeding who where it all goes to and it is for as many people that deny that it is in our, uh, in our door, on our doorstep, it is everywhere. There's nothing you uh, look at that doesn't have some reference to the United Nations agenda. So for any New Zealand politician, for any New Zealand um, legacy media to deny that it exists, um, you've got to realise uh, they don't want it to be, um, they don't want it to be exposed for what, what it may be. Now, I see. I go back and I say that uh, well, all these seventeen goals and the one hundred and sixty nine sub pillars, they all look pretty, pretty safe. There's nothing to see here. So it is about um, if if you think there's nefarious ends to this, it is uh, perhaps about exposing them. And yeah, certainly there's a cost to all of them, and that's our job to try and show that. Um, and it's our it's our um, duty to yeah make sure that the public are informed from at least our angle, um, whether they believe it or not, it's up to them. Well, that's true, you know, and, it, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you've just got to keep going directly to the horse's mouth. And so we, that on YouTube there's a, an amazing video and it's Jacinda Ardern at the Goalkeepers Conference where she, 
in, in front, you know, and this is hosted by the Gates Foundation and our Prime Minister of New Zealand um, signed New Zealand up to the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals. So it's very hard to argue that. And, and while some people look at these goals at a governmental level, um, they've got to come from government to somewhere, you know, and, and they come in down through our councils. And that's what Jaspreet and I kept uncovering. All of the stuff is in your local council. Um, and, and that's how it gets fed down from, from the United Nations through our central government into our, into our local council. Um, and, and we've taken a long time to to uncover that step by step, um, almost go goal by goal. Hey, Jasprit. <laughs> oh, we we literally did those uh, webinars year and a half, goal by goal, and goal uh, by goal. They are still available on the Voices for Freedom Odessi channel, or if you just go to the Voices for Freedom website and click to watch, and there's all the episodes there, along with a whole lot of other very much better hosts than us, I'd say. But Jill, do you want to go back to how we met? What were you doing oh, then? How we crossed okay. paths? So, so um, Jasper and I crossed paths a long time before um, Don and I crossed paths. Um, so I was fortunate enough to speak with um, a couple of people who were very invested in what was happening with this, this agenda, and they really wanted to put the word out. They were um, terrified for what was happening to New Zealand's rural, um, to our, our whole rural way of life. Both of these people are rural. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be a guest speaker with, with these two people. And, and I spoke about how this agenda is brought down through council. So, so that was my topic. Another person spoke about common law and another one spoke about the United Nations agenda and, and exactly what it meant for New Zealand and what was going to happen, um, especially with forestation of farmland and carbon credits. So um, so I met Jasprit at one of these meetings. Yeah, Agricultural then, Action Group. Agricultural Action Group, yeah. And then she was at another meeting that we were at and then – Suddenly, we clicked, and um, and I'll very openly say I am so blessed to have Jasprit in my life. You know, the, this woman is a powerhouse of um, knowledge, and she retains things I don't. I forget, um, you know, and and I have the structure of things, but Jasprit has has detail. And then about a year later, I met up with Don. And, and his knowledge of um, the climate change issue is, is massive. And climate change is the linchpin to all of the 17 sustainable development goals. Without climate change, none of these goals will exist. You know, and, and so that's how we met. It's been a, a joyous and riotous um, couple of years, eh, Jasper? <laughs> it has been. It has been. And, you know, I'm... I look at these newspaper headlines and Jill and I, we both got enough uh, attention to put it nicely from the mainstream media and the disinformation project and everything. But they seem to say now, I'm looking at some headlines uh, from late last year, why were so many Voices for Freedom people at a farming protest? And they tried to say that, uh, you know, a group best known for its objection to the COVID-19 vaccine and pu public health measures, 
is now an insurgent, self-styled, self-styled populist uprising. And they tried to say that uh, we are now morphing into climate issues and others. To, In fact, to quote mainstream media, it says, to sustain its own existence, VFF has been forced to cast a wider net in an effort to re-energize its user base because, uh, hey, the mandates were a thing of the past. And it, it it's laughable. We've been talking, Jill and I, I doubt, Jill, we really focused on the vaccine issue in our UN talks, did we? No. <clears throat> no, we didn't. And and it was at a time when the, the vaccine issue was um, very contentious. Mm. And there were a lot of t- people talking about it. But, you know, behind all the big issues, there's there's other issues. Mm. Um, and, and Jasper and I, we, we and, and with the, um, and I'm so thankful to Voices for Freedom for um, giving us this platform. Um, we were able to talk about issues that were not the vaccine. A- and mm. really by then, everybody just needed a bit of a bloody rest from it, to be quite mm. honest. Um, it was all-consuming. It was all-consuming. Exactly. So um, we spoke at, I doubt we let an episode go past without mentioning the fact that climate change is the linchpin. And, you know, ultimately, that's what it is going to come down. And I can see, uh, Don, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always thought something like that was the upshot, uh, as well as my um, crusade on property rights. Uh, they're inextricably yes. linked, actually, all of this stuff, the diminution of private property rights, uh, climate change, these development goals, all part of it. Um, it's quite laughable reading these. Uh, the story from Charlie Mitchell of stuff, though, isn't it, a, a year on or almost a few months yeah. on, where he talks about, um, Nich- what do you say here, Nicholson sort of uh, uh, detailed his belief that Marxism was being deployed globally via the UN and its sustainability goals and suggest it was part of the plot to enslave humanity. Well, my local councillor absolutely told me that, so uh, I believed him, and um, I think there's pretty good reason to believe him. But as you and I have talked on our show, uh, uh, Jasper, uh, the climate stuff, every week we try not to talk about it, Mm. but you can't stop me. I just, it (laughs) always comes back to it, every week. And today we're going to have another guest uh, on climate, basically. Yeah. So, But it's... It's come down to the fact that you can see nothing, and I mean literally nothing, without any talk of emissions being there. I go into a supermarket, I go into a you know a large retailer. There'll be something about sustainability, emissions. Uh, be it, I don't know. The whole world seems to be on the same bandwagon, and yet they tell us not to talk about this. But you know, isn't this the truth, Jasper? You know, woman to woman. Um, you know, and, and Don, I'm sure you do some very nice shopping sometimes, but, um, you know, women tend to do the supermarket shopping. The truth is when I buy oranges, I am not worried about what sort of box they come in. Mm. Um, I don't worry about their air miles. Um, you know, I buy oranges. And most consumers are exactly the same. You know, they 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 buy what they need and, you um, you know, and if you're lucky, you can buy what you want. But we've been conned into that 
everybody is thinking about air miles and everybody's thinking about emissions and everybody's thinking about sustainability and they call it the market. Um, But I am the market and people like you and I are the market and we're not calling for what these people are calling for in any way or form. does my head in. You know, and and I worked in an industry that that exported um, fruit, and I could never understand why every box wasn't just in a plain black and white packaging. Because when I'm buying loose apples at the supermarket, I'm not thinking about the container they came in. Well, the consumer is king, uh, Jill. Always has been, always will be, and the open market is what the consumer. Uh, desires best of all. Of course, the big push from the New Zealand uh, government and uh, the people that support their concept around climate is around, and emissions profiling and all the rest of it, and taxing and measuring and you name it. It's all about this branding. Brand New Zealand is going to give us, uh, it's going to be nirvana in the world. And of course, the argument also is that we only feed 40 or 50 million people with our produce and we should be feeding 40 or 50 million of the most affluent people in the world. Now, mm, yeah. that's that, that's awfully fine if you can brand and and get to that point. But, uh, and, and people do get virtuous and they do get um, to buy. Uh, they don't care. They just pay the price uh, when they've got money. But um, that doesn't seem... Um, sort of as the United Nations would want it, does it? The United Nations wants us all to be sort of equalised uh, and we should have all have equal access to produce at a similar price. And uh, so it seems like a bit of a contradiction is what I'm saying. About didn't who, who didn't blame Stalin it? want the same thing? <laughs> yeah, but but who can blame a marketer if they're trying to get a market edge through having a brand? I, I think brand New Zealand is a massive noose uh, for our neck, but I, I know I stand alone on that argument. When you have anyone talking about New Zealand dot Inc uh, as as a as a brand for the for the world uh, to the world, I think that's uh, that's just a noose. Now that's true, and you've got to be very careful with branding because um, even though I said to Jasper, this is a walk down memory lane, we won't bring in anything new. But just look at Bud Light. You know they they had to. <laughs> They had to go through this, and we've spoken about this, um, the ESG. You know, you don't get to get a bank loan. You don't get to export unless you meet your economic, social, and, and governance goals. So Bud Light did that, and and they have lost billions in their share value, and, and it's, 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 there's no end in sight to it. You know, and, and I think, New Zealand farmers um, have backed themselves a little bit into the corner with the ESGs because they have not stood up fast enough. Mm. I, you know, I, and and we've we've warned a Jasper. We have we've tried to put out the warning to to our New Zealand farmers to say you know that this is coming for you under these under these goals. As per stuff, Jill, what we've tried to do is try to be relevant when the vaccine issue went. <laughs> it is crazy. The fact is we've never spoken about that. But uh, it's um, this leads me into that email that popped from Fonterra today to Fonterra Supplies. Fonterra is our biggest co-op, dairy co-op yep. in New Zealand. And yep. uh, they had indicated last year that there'll be farm gate emissions now behind the farm gates so of farmers directly. Yep. Uh will be having to account for them and pay for them. This was last November. The email today said that, you know, we had indicated and now we are going forward with it. 
I'm reading yeah. out the email verbatim. It says, to recap, at a high level, we see four key reasons why Fonterra needs, Fonterra farmers need to set and deliver on what's known as scope three targets. One, our strategic choice to be leaders in sustainability. Two, retain our high value customers and access to markets. Three, continued access to funding and capital for the co-op yep. and farmers. And four, increased legal and reporting obligations. So not one of those is for climate. And the booklet that came with it, it spoke about access to funding. And uh, Fonterra writes, banks, insurers, and financial institutions are beginning to request request details on the steps the co-op is taking to reduce its carbon footprint. An example of this heightened focus is the fact that five of New Zealand's key banks, ag banks, have signed up to the United Nations Net Zero Banking Alliance, requiring yeah. them to set targets. So to enable continued access to capital, there's an opportunity to receive discounts and have low interest rates. That's ESG in action. Nowhere in that was it about saving the world. It is now the fact that you won't get funded. You won't have access to markets. Yeah. Your biggest customers, which are not mums and dads like all of us, it is the bigger corporates like Nestle and others holding yeah. us to virtually ransom. I don't. And, and remember too, I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sneak in here, Don. Remember mm. too, Jasper, we we spoke about how this works through your council. Mm. So your council gets its funding through something called LGFA. And mm. LGFA, we and we've <clears throat> we've put up a slide about this. <clears throat> um, so we've been very open and honest about this, but LGFA will only fund your council if the council needs money for something that sits within these 17 sustainable development goals. So our, our councils have been hogtied exactly the same as our big industry is. And, and, and all of them are, are willingly going down that path. If you know, only and, and unfortunately they're taking us with them. <laughs> Well, look, it's around coercion, isn't it? I mean, uh, and that's the problem when you get dominance. Uh, I know Fonterra is losing. Uh, it hasn't got the dominance it once had. But when you do have dominance, you can basically dictate how things will be. And the test for me would be to have another uh, company say, we're not doing any of this. Uh, we're going to have mm -hmm. our suppliers do this unfettered by all these rules and regulations. And we're not going to bank with these people. We're going to do something different. I would Isn't like that to know, great? I, that's I, but great. I, but no, Jill, um, I'm not sure that's going to happen. That's mm -hmm. what I want to happen so that you've actually got a test that declares uh, one versus the other. Now, my guess is that for jumping all the hurdles, the the, the payout to a to a supplier wouldn't be much different. If mm. if not, it may even be better in the company that did nothing. Who knows? But we're yeah. not even allowed to do that test because of this argument that I've just posited before about New Zealand Incorporated. We all hunt as a pack. And I, I, yeah, people who know me know that I'm an absolute individual in my own area. I um, did my own uh, um, farming systems. I was quite successful for a long time with a um, high productivity sheep and, and uh, animals and farming system. But I didn't expect all my neighbours to do it. Uh, the saddest thing I did 
in my career was put all my animals in the same pot as everybody else's. I wish I hadn't. I wish I'd done my own provenance branding and um, been let, uh, let been the market individual. decide. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but we love this. The farmers in New Zealand love the safety and and the numbers of a co-op. Now, I do understand how in the fifties, nineteen fifties, or or around that period, farmers were screwed by the the, the British companies that were owned, family owned type companies, and that's why they formed co-ops. So. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a mix required, and we just don't have that mix. I mean, for instance, what's Tartua doing? I imagine they're ticking the boxes and even putting higher credentials on their on their uh, products. Maybe right. yeah. I'm thinking because they have a higher payout, and I've just shot myself in the foot. That that are they really, or are they just being genuine about their product management right through to the end, uh, rather than having to. Uh, justify ESGs and stuff like that. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think I just have contradicted myself, but I'd love to know the answer to all of that. Uh, yeah. And I, I did hear those bankers about a year ago talking about how um, you needed to be so uh, so careful about your measurements on your farms to get this uh, supposed discount on your interest rates. Well, it won't be a discount. It'll be just the other people will be paying more. Uh, mm-hmm. Banks aren't good at giving discounted interest rates. Yep. So anyway, yeah. uh, it's it's where we are. Uh, it's it's not ideal, uh, and recessionary pressures just might might take the edge off all of the stuff. And when I read stuff online today, there's many companies say they're ticking all the boxes on their ESGs, but they're starting to be found out by the audits, so to speak, uh, of you know the auditors of these ESGs. So you know it may all fall over. Hopefully it does, but we're a long way from that because there's well, so many, so many people yeah. feeding at the trough. There's so many people feeding at the trough of these things. When you look at anything online, there is event managers. There's all sorts of entities that just feed off all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's deep. It's a deep. It's a deep swamp. You know, right, right from the beginning, eh, Jasper, we 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 spoke about. Um, and I used to speak about this with the AAG, was the Manhattan Project. And the Manhattan Project, I always used to ask how many people knew, and I was always surprised at how few knew um, what it was. But, you know, just to, to recap really briefly, you know, thousands of people went to work every day, did their stuff for, the, you know, for two years or three years, whatever it was, and, and went home and had their, their family time and their weekends. And very, very few of those thousands and thousands of people knew what the end result of their labour was, you know, and the end result of their labour was the the building, the testing, and then the using of the atomic bomb, you know, and and this is how this this whole thing is so layered um, that people think that they're doing the right thing, they're working in their department or their compartment, and they're doing what they're told to do, but they have no idea what their actual outcome is. Um, and and the, this is where this whole agenda, um, both 21 and 30, is so nefarious because so many people have got no idea what the end result is going to be. And, and it breaks my heart. They think they're doing the right thing, you know, and farmers sit at the, at the computer for hours on end giving away data. Now, data is gold. You should never give it away. 
you know, yep. and, and yet they do. And and data's been sucked out of our farmers and then it's been used against them on, on so many different layers and, and levels. And the end result is really bad. I, I can hear the passion in your voice, Jill, and it's no wonder that uh, you and I bonded over this. And yeah, it's it's certainly been a very interesting two years. And I have no doubt as this year goes on, there's going to be a whole lot more coming on down the pipeline. For anybody who's just joined us, this is uh, this was Jill Booth from the Central Otago Valley, Teviot Valley. And Teviot Jill, Valley. Yeah. Teviot Valley. And Jill and I have done a whole series of uh, year and a half worth of webinars on Voices for Freedom's website about the Sustainable Development Goals. And we just thought it is uh, a good time to sort of let people know where we all came from before we found this particular forum. Thank you so much for your time today, Jill. I have no doubt we'll have you back on. And uh, You're welcome. Thank you. It's, it's been fun, Jaspreet, and, and I just want to remind people that, um, you know, when we started these webinars, the very first slide that came up was a, was one of a Medusa, um, <laughs> a woman with a single neck but a, but a head of many stakes snakes and um you know and that's what we've got coming for us we've got these all of these snakes coming out from this agenda but it has got one neck and and that's um really what we need to go for you know and we've spoken about that quite often you know quite openly down our you know yeah. through our through our webinars so thank you thank you don we'll catch up again and um catch you later absolutely and for listeners our uh Number to text is 2057. Don and I will be back in a moment. Thank you so much for joining us today. Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio. 